0: welcome to single-minded conversations i'm your host jesse single uh you can check my work out at blocked that's my podcast and jessiesingle.substack.com this is the i think the earliest i've ever done one of these on a uh weekend um so we have a smaller crowd than usual i hope you guys have a lot of questions and comments uh we'll see how this goes it's usually 50 60 70 people we got 10 it's an intimate gathering um The one very non-substantive point I want to make, because this is the time of the week when brunch often occurs, is I've long had a secret that I've been scared to share with everybody, uh, which is that brunch is overrated, and I wish people would realize that. I have spent most of my adult life in the sorts of cities where brunch is like a really big deal for a lot of people, where you walk around, you see the long lines, people waiting to get in to have their French toast, and I, of course, I've done it sometimes, but I don't get the ritual of it. I don't understand the, it's like the price and time premium. You spend 50% more time. You spend 50% more money for food. That is like sometimes better, sometimes not even better. I've just, I've, I don't know. I think it's like people just get excited, especially if you, I understand if you have like a normal nine to five job, this is the one time of the week you and your friends will all likely be free. I can understand the appeal of it, but I don't understand the appeal of, like, waiting in line that long. I don't know what it is. I would just – why not just go to, like, a diner or something where the food will be almost as good? Well, yeah, you could eat two meals. Yeah. Anyway, let's – um as you guys can tell, I've got some really heady stuff uh, today. As I <laughs> struggle with the interface here, I'm trying to take Jacob, what is up, Jacob? Hey,
1: Jesse, I think that your brunch comments really show your podcaster's privilege. That's absolutely true. You don't have to work a 9 to 5 job because as somebody who does more like a 7 a.m. to 5 or 6 p.m. job, I will say that brunch is a really nice thing to do because you get to wake up on Saturday and Sunday and not have to think about where you have to be and you can eat for as long as you want to.
0: That's fair. I maybe I'm not being maybe I'm forgetting. I for a while I worked in an office like everyone else. Maybe I'm forgetting what that's like, and it's probably hard to plan stuff with friends and to have a time when you know you'll all be available. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, do you live it? Oh wait, you're.
1: I'm the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So that's like so. brunch central.
0: That's brunch central. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, There are probably twenty brunch places within a ten minute walk of my extremely overpriced apartment.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. I, maybe I'll have to moderate my anti-brunch takes before I get canceled.
1: Yeah. I just think it's your privilege showing and your lack of understanding of those of us who do have more normal jobs and are not able to just be podcasters.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, as I've said on the podcast for a long time, I, I despise the common people. I make no bones about that.
1: Yes. Especially the true,
0: especially firefighters and the troops.
1: That is definitely abundantly clear, but yes, nice hot take on brunch, but I was uh, actually kind of interested in chatting about the Liz Cheney phenomenon, if you're up for that. Yeah. So obviously a ton of the takes around her loss have been very centered around Trump and January 6th, etc., but what... I was kind of thinking, but I didn't see anybody in media talking about, was that her Liz Cheney's ties to Wyoming are basically tangential at best because her father spent a lot of time there, but she's never actually herself lived there at any point in her life. She was born in Wisconsin, primarily raised in Virginia, college Colorado, law school Chicago, and has basically been in and around D.C. since she graduated. She moved to Wyoming briefly in 2014 to run for Senate, lost that, and spent the next two years in D.C. before getting her house seat. And what I was just seeing, and she lives in McLean, Virginia, with her husband, who's a partner at a big D.C. law firm, who has also never lived in Wyoming. And to me, I just thought it was interesting that the media was not really at all talking about the fact that while her father has strong ties to Wyoming, she's never actually lived there for more than three or four months at any point in her life. And I just thought that that lack of coverage was noteworthy.
0: That's interesting. I mean, it does seem that it can both be true that that probably didn't help her and that her uh, belief that Biden won the election hurt her among the Republican base, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, Right. But you're saying she never really had like a strong tie to Wyoming in the first place.
1: Yeah. Like she was there for a few weeks here and a few months there, but Wyoming was never her actual permanent residence as in like the place where she spent at least eight, nine months a year. And obviously, as a member of Congress, you can't spend that much time in your district because you have to be in Washington. But even before she was elected, I don't know if it was a single year in her life where she actually spent eight or nine months out of that year physically in Wyoming. Yeah. And like a bunch of years ago, when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won her House seat from Queens, the guy she was running against was like this crotchety old congressman who basically lived in the D.C. suburbs and showed up in Queens for a few photo ops around election times and was completely had nothing to do with the district. And when she beat him in like a fairly stunning victory, because nobody thought he would lose, a lot of the coverage did center around the fact that he didn't actually live there and oh, that that's didn't really have much to do with the local people. Yeah. And it was fairly easy for her to come in because he wasn't even really campaigning, and she was at least showing up.
0: Right. So you um, – right. Yeah. I guess it's just like a simpler story that latches on yeah, the stuff um, we're already talking about with Lee Cheney, but that seems like um totally yeah, fair Not point.
1: At all to minimize the January 6th election stuff that absolutely – hurt her and destroyed her but i just think the fact that she didn't actually live there and she had nothing to do with the common folk was an important part of the story that got played up because like on election night i actually did go and look at some local coverage from like wyoming newspapers and radio networks and they were doing interviews of people who were saying stuff like well liz cheney who's liz cheney i've never seen her around wyoming what does she know about my needs
0: yeah uh so
1: like there was some local coverage on that but I yeah. didn't really see it. It didn't break no out way.
0: naturally. That's a yeah. totally that's a totally fair point. And the
1: other thing uh, quickly, quickly that I was curious to know how your investigation into COVID street testing scams are going. And I know I know I tweeted you a few links the other day, so I <laughs> was wondering how you were I haven't had finding a chance, those.
0: Stories. Was it you who sent me the one about Philadelphia, or was that someone else? Yes. I haven't no had a chance to read that stuff yet. I this is gonna be there's a guy Davey Herbert. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if he's looking. At it. I think he's a kid now, but um Davey Herbert's this guy who writes these great articles about like just New York City life for places like New York Magazine. I know him a little bit. He's the kind of guy who would really dig into this and produce a great story. I don't think I have it in me. I'm convinced that yeah, these pop-up little tents, um you know, like a four-post tent, not a Oh,
1: there's a ton of them around me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think they um I'm just explaining to to other listeners. I'm I'm convinced there's some serious scams behind these COVID testing centers. And I think we're going to find that in some cases, they don't actually do the testing at all. Or it'll be something like the Theranos controversy. So someone's yeah, going to write a good magazine piece on that. I don't think I have the right uh, – I don't think I'm situated to do it justice.
1: Yeah, the New York Attorney General has already taken action against a few of them for various issues. Yeah.
0: Um, so –
1: Yeah, the the Philly fighting COVID story is not quite street testing, but it's still an absolutely insane story about a bunch of scammers who got away with a lot before anybody in government actually really realized. Yeah. Um, And it's it's worth listening to that podcast when you find time when you're not eating brunch.
0: (laughs) I will check it out. Thank you, Jacob.
2: Have a good day, Jesse.
0: Neil is up next. Anyone else should get in the queue if you want.
2: Hopefully I'm not cutting out this time. If I am, still somehow I'll just say my question quickly.
0: Sounds good to me. Yeah, you're um, like you're coming at you're coming in. Good to me.
2: Oh, cool, cool. So so on the topic of breakfast, I think the best is you eat breakfast and then you eat second breakfast before lunch and then you eat breakfast for lunch and then you eat breakfast for second lunch and then you eat breakfast for, lunch, and eat breakfast for dinner and dessert. So and your you like your proposal is a
0: six meal day all of which are different forms of breakfast or is it
2: the same breakfast either one? I mean up to up to the eater up to the
0: <laughs> uh, um, I think that's a pretty good system.
2: <laughs> okay, more seriously, I was wondering about your thoughts on like the Sam Harris controversy.
0: Um I saw a little bit of this on Twitter, but what exactly did he say?
2: Oh, um so basically he was on trigonometry and I mean, you you really want to watch the full clip. Um I'll try to summarize it, but basically he endorsed um like, not covering or, like, actively being anti the Hunter Biden laptop story and just, like, not covering it because that, that you know, helped uh, elect Biden instead of Trump. Right. And, he, and, and his he argument basically... was that
0: was so important that it's okay to suppress the story.
2: Yep, exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously opposed to that. I mean, I, I unfortunately, um, I think a lot of journalists probably would be fine with that. Uh, but no, I, it's, well, you know, he what is sam harris he's a writer he's a podcaster very smart guy he's not a journalist so i guess he's allowed to make like a philosophical argument but i can understand why given that he's carved out a role as like the truth a truth teller type who will cut through nonsense and politicized information uh it's it's not a good look for him as the kids say but i think a lot of people probably quietly agree with him that sort of beating trump was so important that measures like that were uh justified but i just i don't like that sort of ends justify the means reasoning
2: yeah and then he also he also went farther and was like even if there were like what like dead children on the laptop that would be that would be okay with him I, i think that was kind of hyperbole to prove his point but then a lot of people didn't really take it as hyperbole so that kind of didn't come off very well
0: yeah uh yeah it's not it's it's not great but again unfortunately i'm not it's not surprising yeah
2: Anything else, still? Um, I can I can call in with my other, uh, like my one pedophile question. If that it was somewhat long, but well, what what was the pedophile me. question? Oh, okay. So basically, in my defense of the masturbation paper, now that I'm not cutting out, basically I think th- th- I think there's such an important distinction between like lollicom and Shodacom and then like actual pedophilia, and then further between pedophilia and actual like offending pedophiles. And I think a lot of people online especially in the UK where fictional porn of minors is explicitly illegal, um, that just straight up don't make that first distinction at all. And I think that's really bad. I think it's like, I think, I just think it's bad to conflate hentai with like actual child porn and then think that this guy should be like in trouble for like the same extent that like actual people with actual child porn would be in trouble for. And I just, I don't know, like I totally agree that the paper is completely void of intellectual value and that it shouldn't be publicly funded. Totally agree on both those fronts. But I just don't – I think that it should have been defended more strongly maybe. Um, not that and reported was um, going far to like – or like going so far as to say this guy should be put in jail or anything. But there were definitely a lot of people online saying that kind of stuff. And, yeah. Um,
0: well, anything like yeah. that, you are you're definitely gonna get that uh, moral outrage and calls for imprisonment or whatever. But yeah, I didn't – to me, it, it's much more just a question of like why was it published and how was it published. Yeah. But uh, I agree with you that in terms of – who actually gets in legal trouble for that kind of gross stuff it should there should be a huge distinction between like images of actual kids and there's probably some gray area there with like computer generated kids at what point are you going to you know imprison someone for imagery that's cartoonish or computer generated or whatever other shit they come up with versus written stuff where i
2: think it's even harder so i'm with you that we okay. need to be able to make uh gray area distinctions there and then also, so you know more about academic research than I do, and the paper specifically mentions, quote, the author received no financial support for the research, authorship, and/or publication of this article. And so I get that money is fungible, and that like any money of his that he didn't have to spend on making this paper that they that they or that that any money he didn't have to spend on making other papers that like that they funded him for that he could have then spent, spent on this paper. So is that? a valid defense for those who are upset or is money like so fungible that they're still right to be upset that he was like in a way publicly funded and this paper is publicly funded?
0: No, I, I don't think it's fair to say he was publicly funded if, um, I mean, he's like a, I think a, leg, no, he's a PhD student at Manchester. Um, yeah. No, PhD, I think yeah. like the way we use terms like funded, it, it's really like more, you can get a specific grant or fellowship that you use toward a specific paper. So I think he's on safe ground in saying that he didn't receive any funding for the paper.
3: Okay. Cool. Thank you. Yep.
0: Thank you. No. Uh, Hey, Pope.
3: Hey, Jesse. How are you keeping? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. I was uh, disappointed that I missed the Twitter Holics Anonymous session the other night, but I listened back, and it was really, really good. Thank you. I just, I just wanted to know how you're getting on with your uh, abstinence journey at the moment.
0: My my abstinence journey. Uh, It's going. It's going well so far. I've managed to. Let me just look at my. This is a bad idea. I'm just pulling up my actual account. I think last couple days I've just, yeah. There's one tweet where I was like looking for information about something. Then it's all just tweeting and retweeting the stuff I need to promote, which is a, for me, a much healthier way of um, using the platform. You know, because I can't really, I don't think I can give it up entirely. And yeah, I think I've been a little bit more productive in the last couple days. There's always a chance for placebo effects, and then. I'm getting on a plane in a few hours, so that'll help me uh, stay off Twitter even further. So, yeah, so, well it's going, so far it's going pretty well.
3: Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. Uh, I was just going to ask you something else, though. Um, I was going to ask, uh, do you know of any, like, good uh, article or book or anything that kind of, like, has a deep dive into the origins and evolution of the whole, like, woke, mo- modern woke movement?
0: Yeah, I... Nothing off the top of my head. Like, I found... I will say that I, I've generally found, like, the big zoomed-out theorizing about, like, wokeness to not be that helpful. I mean, um, McWhorter's book, Woke Racism, is more polemical. It's interesting. It doesn't really try to explain the whole movement of it. I found – I read um, – what is it? Twilight of the Common. I basically found, like uh, – okay, so Twilight of Common Dreams by Todd Gitlin is uh, was written in – I should really know this by now. Sorry, this this will matter. Yeah, 95. Okay, so Twilight of Common Dreams uh, is written in 95. It's about identity politics. It's about internecine warfare on the left. I learned a lot from that. I'm reading The Vital Center by Arthur Schlesinger. That was 1949, the same thing, except back then the, le- the far leftists were communists. You see the same fights really re over and over and over. So I found diving into the hist- – not diving into but reading a few books about the history of it. Uh, also, Race Experts by Elizabeth Lash Quinn. That was a great book. I think it was released right before 9-11, so it got swallowed up. But um, I have found that more helpful just toward, sort of – sort of seeing how all this stuff is cyclical, and we really have the same fights over and over. Like the first chapter of Twilight of the Common Dreams, it's like – uh a meeting about a new school curriculum and I think Oakland and they're calling these like respected professors of either uh, history or ethnic studies, Nazis, everyone's immediately getting called a Nazi cause they don't agree exactly with the new curriculum where that has more stuff about how America is an imperialist bastard, blah, blah, blah. So, um, I found that useful, j- but just for like, none of this stuff is really new is the point. I think it's been supercharged by social media as for the new books. I do think the first generation of people to write, like, books about wokeness have tended to be, you know, in that, like, sort of more essentialist anti-woke camp that I don't like or that I think is, like, tends to oversimplify stuff. So, uh, yeah, that was a long-winded answer. But I, I don't I don't have great ideas on that, bro, but maybe if you come across one, you can let me know.
3: Cool. Thanks for those recommendations. Like, I don't know if – I think you could do, like, or uh, someone could do a really good uh documentary. Like, have you ever seen Adam Curtis, the guy who does, uh, the, I know
0: people that- love his work and I haven't, I haven't seen any of them, but yeah, he's very beloved.
3: Yeah. He does brilliant stuff. He did one before about like, um, the kind of parallel rise of like the Islamists and the neoconservatives. Oh, and I think it'd be really cool to do one like on the modern left and then the parallel rise of like the modern right, like the kind of new right. Cause it's all kind of so in reactionary to the woke stuff, like that'd it be really good to see, like, just a kind of deep dive into the evolution of all that, like to how we got to this point, like, cause, uh, it's kind of crazy. I think.
0: I think. I think that's a good idea. A wokeness documentary. Uh, yeah. You put here first. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. d right, right, Pap. Pap. Progressive. <clears throat> hey. Hello. Hey, you cut off for me minute. Say that again. What hey. I said. I said, "Hey, Jesse." There we go. Can you hear me? I can.
4: Yeah. Um, first of all, uh, with the last callers response i think that uh ironically there's kind of it's a self perpetuating cycle because what ends up happening is the people who are the particularly um, who are anti woke end up bolstering the woke's claims yeah um because you know and i've just started to see this with people like um i don't know if you're familiar with uh, someone like batya unger sargan yeah She'll to critique the woke. And then in her critique, you can see that she's by bi- like, she'll critique the woke for identity politics. And then in her critique, you can see that she actually subscribes to identity politics that just not in the same way. So if the, because she'll make the critique that this, these liberal elites are looking down on working class Americans, which is something I've always found dubious. And then when conservative elites look down on other sets of working class Americans, she doesn't really have the same criticism. So that in essence kind of proves identity politics. And I think part of the issue is that even with some sort of the trans things, I don't think that, I don't think it's that people are afraid to critique some of the ideas about like girls playing in boys sports. I think it's the idea that, we'd have to be hitting a ride with people who I really think genuinely hate trans people because, yeah. because like with something like women's sports, the same sorts of people who for years and years and years have always made women's sports a punchline.
0: Right. Or um, now, now are, are suddenly very concerned. Yeah, now they're it. like,
4: Ooh, I care about, I care about the WNBA and I care about women's swimming. And it's like,
0: Three years it's the same ago. thing with like with like le- uh, the lesbian fourteen year olds. They're worried will become trans. Suddenly they're yeah. very curious, concerned I, about like gay teenagers.
4: Right. If this were somehow affecting the NFL, I'd be like, okay, maybe it's more sincere. But but when it's when it's that dynamic is going on, I think that's the issue. And I think um, ironically, it's something that both uh, the center, like I would consider you more center left, and the 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 uh, the left who's, who critiques liberal struggle with is that sometimes you guys will agree with the right or ally with the right to kind of push back on some of the um, elite leftists, but you end up kind of bolstering them, you know?
0: Yeah, but- I mean, it, it's it's tricky. I just I, might sound like a cop-out, but I just sort of take things on a case-by-case basis. And, yeah. you know, I... <clears throat> If if someone on the right agrees with me on a specific thing, okay. I I would imagine that – excuse me, I got to cop. I don't think in Ben Shapiro's perfect world he would have anywhere near the same views on, like, teenagers transitioning than I do. So it's definitely – there's this uneasiness to it. And I think in some cases, like, sort of, quote-unquote, heterodox or anti-woke liberals and leftists have really gone off the deep end and just um, – I don't know. To me sort of uh, abandoned their principles in a way that I I wouldn't ever want to do. Yeah.
4: And that's why that's why the one thing I look for not
0: that like the, the determine Hey, something of, weird just happened with your mic. Did you turn can you hear me? Uh, Yeah, that's can you better. Yeah.
4: I was saying the one thing I do, not that this is sort of like I'm the all-knowing judge is that's why almost ironically, not virtue signaling, but signaling that the person is arguing in good faith, I think is so important because if someone's, like, criticizing reactionaries and pushing back, then I'm like, they're going through... Then I'm like, okay, that that's where their position is. Um, but, like, someone even like John McWhorter or Glenn Lowry, it's very clear to me that a lot of... Even though they're saying they're on the center of the left, when their criticism is just of woke racism and not really racism that's coming from reactionaries, then I'm like, oh, okay. They've decided that they have a right-wing audience, so this is the... Um, House that they've helped build, and so that's who they have to cater to. So I, so I do think that you know I I do respect in some ways the fact that you haven't, even though you may have more of a right-leaning audience, you haven't really, you know, just gone full. I'm never going to criticize the right. You've kind of criticized both sides, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also think the the right has gone. I just continue to think that the mainstream Republican Party is in much worse shape craziness-wise than the mainstream Democratic Party, and I try to point that out. Uh, There is any outrage story about what the conservatives are doing will get blanket mainstream coverage, so I don't always feel as driven to add my voice to the fray because it's a loud fray. But, yeah, I've I've made the point a lot that, like, I just... um, The stuff going on in the Republican Party is crazy. I mean, you really have a situation where you can't... Be a nationally competitive uh, candidate unless you say Donald Trump won, or, or like, or at least you keep quiet about your true beliefs, which is really messed up. Anyway, these are all these are all uh, yeah. And, and the I'm last positive. thing I want to
4: say is yeah, especially, especially when they're when they are pursuing tangible policies, like if there's a national abortion policy, it's going to be really interesting to see or national abortion ban. And I'm praying it doesn't happen. It's going to be really interesting to see the people who are propping up the Republicans as this sort of working class party that's against the woke, how they defend the fact that it's going to be poor women who are going to be affected by that. Like that's going to be a really interesting thing to, to see.
0: Yeah. I think that would be yeah. a bridge too far for like the anti-woke liberal types. I also, yeah, I, I don't, I, in terms of the uh, electoral math of it, I don't think we'll see a national abortion ban, but you never know. Things really bad shit could happen.
4: Thanks for taking my call.
0: Thank you, dude. Uh, Taylor. What's up?
5: Hello. Hello. Howdy. Hey. I was calling for a report on the ground, sir. Uh, so being in Texas, and, uh, you know, I, so I live in North Texas, um, a place that has shattered itself with glory with some of the reporting here recently. And um, I just wanted to, to, uh, to comment on, uh, you know, I think y'all covered it this week a little bit, the the Andreessen Horowitz, uh, NIMBYism, right, in Atherton. Y'all, y'all brought that up.
0: Uh. We on the no. podcast, we didn't. I know it, remind everyone what that is. Remind me what that is.
5: So, that is the uh, the, the current controversy going on with um, the you know, uh, they wanted to build extra units in their little Atherton, California town. I think it's Atherton. I that uh, don't don't put too much weight on that, but there's a uh, you know, the uh, publicly stating you know, we need to build more housing. You no, know, America has a Mark,
0: Andre- Mark Andreessen saying we need to
5: build more, right? And then, yeah. but then uh, sending in the letter to say do not uh trying to stop the local council from uh obeying california law about um putting more units into their town right and um and it's funny because uh, we do the same thing here in north texas and no one throws a fit. uh so i live in a very small town i live about half an hour outside of fort worth if, if that makes any sort of geographical sense yeah and um we have the same thing going on where they're building houses here and uh, if I if I had a dollar for every Cal- don't California, my Texas bumper sticker I saw, uh, man, <laughs> I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be able to you know support you at a much higher rate. Um, and it's, I think it's just uh, another funny example of horseshoe theory and about how like there's I think you could almost make a more commentary, like just going through and listing out the ways that, you know, the left and the right have come together on these things. And we're still busy yelling about the dumb things they have in opposition to each other that we're not paying much attention to the dumb things they are agreeing on. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, that, that was my, my on the ground reporting. So, uh, there you are, sir. Thank you. <laughs>
0: no, I mean, it's a higher stakes version of it, but the, but the, the book I mentioned, the vital center by Arthur Schlesinger, he, he put, his book is a, um, a defense of liberalism against both, Reactionary forces this is right after not long after Hitler was defeated, and communism, you know like totalitarian belief systems and his he points out drawing on a lot of other thinkers that in many ways uh, fascists and communists were able to get along. they had very black and white belief systems, they believed the state should control everything, that your whole life should be poured into the party and uh, I don't think the horseshoe theory is a surprise because I think it's they're similar personality types and similar beliefs um, and black and white thinking that draw people to like far out their ideologies. So, yeah, it's interesting to see it uh, in action, especially in a, a relatively lower stakes thing like housing policy.
5: Will you do me a favor to break it off? Will you drop that in – will someone drop that in the, in the chat because I will not remember the title of that book, but I would like to go find it.
0: Yeah, I'll do it right now, The Vital Center. Uh, the
5: Bible Center. Thank you, sir.
0: Thank you. All right. Let's see here. Joshua, what is up? We can do Joshua then Gus, and then I'm gonna have to go.
6: Hey. Hello. See hey. Sorry, call in issues. Uh. So, uh, first off, happy Sunday. Um, I'm a little late to the show. So, uh, did you guys cover the whole Adam Davidson? Uh, woke warrior. He
0: basically just tweeted that he's he's one of the good white men, right? Yeah,
6: yeah. Uh, well, is this, is, so this is so this this
0: was a good example of how I logged into Twitter just to post a link to this, and I'm so I'm trying so hard not to fall back in my old Twitter habits, and immediately the first thing I saw was Adam Davidson saying how it was something like how do white people not realize how much privilege we have? Like a tweet from like 2016. Uh, yeah, and I'm the, surprised that didn't suck me back in. I was able to lock back out successfully. I'm,
6: I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, Thank the you. quote was, it amazes me that any straight white dudes don't see the privilege we have. It's not subtle. Um, w- w- yeah, w- which again is just, it's interesting when people put it out there, like even if that's your genuine belief, it does feel like uh, this is uh, value preaching. Interesting, I think, conversation... That I saw, though, and I love your thoughts on is so Colin Wright, who um, I'm sure, you know, and is a little controversial, but also pushing a conversation. He essentially made a very good point of saying, you know, you want to view individuals as complex upbringings and situations. They're not reducible to simple group identities based on immutable characteristics. Yeah, totally valid point also. Um, But there was an interesting follow up in the comments where one woman said, Uh, I wish I didn't have to generalize men every time I walk to my car at night, but that's not how the world works.
0: What I found that
6: an interesting kind of balance of of, of the two that I do have female friends, for example, that they walk to uh, on the other side of the street. You know, when when uh when a guy's behind them at night because they feel unsafe. And there's like certain things where if you're playing a statistics game and you roll the dice, you know, there's certain actions, certain behaviors that generalize. And I'm wondering how do we balance that between we should be treated as humans, but at the same time there probably is, I guess, you know, like, un, you know, um, intentional or unintentional bias in the world, you know? And if you're a white male, you, you know, you've got some maybe perks or bonuses.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, they're saying two different things. Davidson's saying, I can't believe sounds like he's saying all white men should acknowledge their privilege, which is a stale argument that is sort of, I mean, should opioid addicts in Appalachia—I can never pronounce it right. Katie always yells at me. Appalachia, uh, should they acknowledge their privilege? Are they, are they, doing slightly better than a black hypothetical black opioid? I, it just gets very stupid, like the math of it. Um, so I think that's why people responded negatively to his thing. That it can be true both that Davidson's view is too blunt and politically unhelpful, if not counterproductive, and that yeah like women walking down the street face a bigger violent threat for men uh, and have reasons to be more concerned about a man following them than a woman following them because nine times out of ten if you get followed by someone, it's a male by the way, men are victims of violence much more than women, and they're I'm not saying it's exactly the same because there's there's power and size differentials, but men are just more violent uh whoever the victim is by a huge and, and,
6: and just to be clear I, I I think she pointed out that concept in terms of talking about. The, the concepts of patterns and averages yeah. when you're dealing with a very large group uh, of people. And I, yeah. again, I, 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 I tend to fall behind the the kind of people that, say, treat people as individuals. But in certain life situations, for example, if I don't know if you're a black man applying for a job, you know, like, you know, do the numbers, you know, work against you, for example, you know, and right. what do you do to work the system? You know, is, is that true? Is that not true? Does it depend on the company uh I don't
0: know yeah I think um I think people were just responding to he's clearly just looking for yeah head Uh yeah, yeah. Uh, d- d- is there there are senses in what which white privilege is real it's also I think it's probably becoming less real every day because we're as a country we're getting more diverse, and there's already you know i was <laughs> I would not have brought up ethnic groups in this way but all anyone talks about is race and white privilege so I, I will play this card there are ethnic groups that do better than white people in america uh you know so mm-hmm. it's not it's it's just a oversimplified way of talking about the world it's also never going to convince anyone all it does is it makes it puts people on the defensive they'll point to whatever's wrong with their life or whatever they don't have and they're millions of white people experiencing genuine precarity in the u.s and they'll say fuck you i don't have privilege so it's just not useful messaging and the only reason he's saying it is so that he'll be seen as a good guy so that's why people respond
6: yeah. up yeah. Uh, great insights and, and just real quick um i know that you're looking for someone with advice on uh search engine optimization so i pinged you so if you still need that advice happy to help.
0: oh thank you did you send an email yeah Okay, I, yeah, I think, we, um, I think we got what we need, but I might, uh, I might hit you back if, um, if not. But thank you, Joshua. I, pre- I appreciate it. Uh, Gus Agonis.
7: Oh, hey, Jesse. Thanks for taking sure. my call. Um, so first of all, I just wanted to uh, say I support you in your efforts to stay off of Twitter. Thank you. Stay, stay strong. Um, you know, remember harm reduction, even if you, <laughs> you get back on a little bit.
0: Right. As right. long as I, long mean, as I don't go, go all the way doesn't need need to be a 12-day bender or anything, right?
7: Exactly, exactly. So uh, aside from that, I thought I'd kind of give you a softball question here at the end, uh, which is, um, so I really love the first two Hold Steady albums, Almost Killed Me and Separation Sunday, two of my favorite albums. I was pretty meh on um, Boys and Girls in America. So if I was going to listen to more, either going further back into lift or Puller or, you know, later hold steady or Craig Finn solo stuff I saw you've been tweeting about this uh, you know a few days ago or something yeah um, so so what would you recommend to somebody like me
0: oh man um, I've been listening to stay positive a lot lately I think that's great I I am so far behind on hold steady I'm still like catching up on the back album back catalog um, but yes I I've been listening to a ton of Stay Positive and the first Lifter Polar album I really love, or so far I love. I've listened to it three times. It's, um, I don't know, it just reminds me of a very specific type of 90s music. So, and then, oh, the other one was um, Birds Trapped in the Airport. Excuse me. The um, We All Want the Same Things is a really good solo Craig Finn album. I feel like between his solo albums and Hold Steady and Lifter Polar, he probably has like 20 albums at this point, right?
7: It, it seems like it uh I, I feel like I'm always hearing about another one i hadn't heard of before
0: yeah are you how familiar are you with stay positive
7: uh not really because uh, yeah, after boys and girls in america um i don't know i I kind of checked out of the whole study i mean before that i was going you know I was going to shows uh every summer, um, you know I was really into them a lot um, yeah but uh but after boys and girls in america i was like eh, i don't know if i really like the the direction the music is going at this point
0: i think um, yeah you should check out it looks like it was just a couple years later so try stay positive i think it's a better album than boys and girls in america i'd start there all right thank you guys that was a uh, a nice softball question to end on thank you everyone for listening uh as always i would just ask if you enjoy what i'm doing here tell other people about it um We ended up having a decent sized crowd, but it's definitely less people than usual for the Sunday brunch slot. So I'll probably go back to like evening ones. Uh, Got some travel, but I think I'll do one next Friday. But uh, we'll see. You'll, You'll know first. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and have a good Sunday.
4: Bye.